Welcome to Palmdale United Methodist Church's podcast for Sunday, July 7th, 2019. May God use this as a blessing to you today. Let us pray. Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, you who are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I received my Master's of Divinity degree at Drew Theological School in Madison, New Jersey. And uh, the summer between my first and second years of seminary, I worked here at Madison United Methodist Church. It was the church, the United Methodist Church, on the corner of the campus. Um, I was hired to be the youth pastor, and they didn't pay much. I made $100 a month, but it came with free housing. Um, and that, that was quite a, a benefit. I don't know if you can see over in the left corner uh, next to the church, there's a house, partial part of a white house. That was the uh, district headquarters for the United Methodist Church. And then next to that house was another house that used to be the parsonage. That's where the youth pastor and his or her family stayed on the front level. And then the, the sexton or the groundskeeper uh, and his family stayed on the second level of the house. And that's where Jody and I lived uh, one year after we got married. It was much better than living in uh, dorm housing at the seminary. Because that meant we could get a dog. And so shortly after moving in, Jody and I decided to go to St. Hubert's Animal Shelter, you know, just to look around, right? Jody wanted to have a, a puppy cocker spaniel. Like, whoever gives cocker spaniels to humane shelter? Nobody, right? So we knew that, you know, I'm like, let's not just get too attached. Let's just go and see what we find. Yeah, we left with a dog uh, after that visit. Um, the dog, who we named Coco, looked just like this. Curled up in a ball, that's how we found her. I thought, seriously, I thought, this dog looks so pathetic, nobody's going to take this dog. And if nobody takes this dog, they're going to kill this dog. So God must be telling us that we, out of Christian compassion, should take this dog home, otherwise it's toast. Um, turns out, Whippet was, or uh, Coco was a Whippet. I didn't know what a Whippet was. Whippets are uh, related to greyhounds. And the reason she was curled up in a ball looking so pathetic was she had just been spayed. And the anesthesia was still making her kind of groggy. Uh, once the painkillers wore off, she was a ball of energy. Uh, this is not a picture of Coco, but it's what our dog looked like had I taken a picture back in the day. Um, and we loved her so much. But as I said, she was a ball of energy. So we decided to take her to uh, dog obedience school back at St. Hubert's. In fact, this is the very room that we had obedience classes in. And n- not only is it to teach the dog how to obey, obey, but teach the owners how to work with the dogs in appropriate ways. It was so helpful. We learned so much for the two weeks that we were in the class before Coco got kicked out. Um, yeah. Does not play well with other dogs was what was checked on her report card. Um, she spent the entire time barking and trying to harass the other dogs. So our teacher uh, said to us, please do not bring your dog back to the obedience class. And we were, we were you know, oh, no, what are we going to do? Uh, she said, don't worry, don't worry. Uh, you can come back at a different time, and I'll continue to teach you the remaining lessons. That way you, you get to go through. And Jody is like, our dog is in special ed. We're like, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> Welcome to the uh, sixth and final week of our summer sermon series called Faith in Disney. And 
Animals living together in harmony is uh, the theme of the movie that we're going to be talking about, we're finishing with today. It's called Zootopia. And each week during this six-week series, we picked a different Disney film and uh, looked at some of the, uh, the faith elements that we might find in the film and then paralleled it with the scripture passage from the Bible and see how they intertwine and what we can learn from each of the two areas. And I know for some of you, you've told me how much you love this. I love researching and preaching this series. Uh, Others of you, well, you've just kind of hung in there hoping that it would end soon. And I'm, thank you for sticking with us. That's what we do as a family. We stick together. But this is the final week and next week we're on to something else. Zootopia premiered in 2016. It takes place in the thriving mammal metropolis of the same name, Zootopia. Uh, But before we get there, we need to meet our main character, Judy Hopps. As a young girl uh, growing up in Bunnyboro, Judy dreamed of becoming a police officer. Not just any police officer, but the first bunny cop in Zootopia ever. Well, 15 years later, she enrolled in the Zootopia Police Academy, and it was hard work, really hard work. Nobody expected a bunny to actually graduate, but what she lacked in size, she made up for with brains and determination, and Judy Hopps did indeed become the very first bunny police officer in Zootopia history. Her parents and all 257 of her siblings, because <laughs> it's a rabbit family, right? came out to the train station to see her off as she got ready to start her job at the downtown Zootopia police station. Now, her parents were very worried about her, you know, going off and living on her own in the big city, and they warned her to keep a special eye out for foxes, notorious enemies of rabbits. Despite their antiquated belief on race relations, Judy still loved her parents and gave them hugs as she got ready uh, to board the train. And what a journey it was. That train traveled through many of the 12 unique districts of Zootopia proper, including such places as Sahara Square, Tundra Town, the Rainforest District, Polar Straits, just to name a few. There's such wonderful diversity, not only in uh, the environment, but also in all of the creatures that live together in this one place. And when she finally reached her apartment, she was so eager to get a good night's sleep so she could have all the energy she needed for her first day on the job. The next day, though, she discovered that just because you're part of the police force doesn't mean you're part of the police force. You know what I mean? Like, it it was going to take a while to break into the camaraderie there. Chief Bogo, a Cape Buffalo, informs the officers that they have a new priority number one as a district, that there are 14 missing mammals all around the city, and each of them has to go out and find them. So the the chief assigns uh, pairs of police officers to hit all of the various districts to investigate. Everyone gets an assignment except Judy. She's relegated to parking duty. I'm not some token bunny, she says, but uh, Chief Bogo doesn't want to hear it. Well, later that morning, while she's uh, piling up parking tickets, she notices a shifty-looking fox heading into an ice cream parlor. Turns out the fox's name is Nick Wilde. He's just there with his son wanting to get a jumbo pop His son has dreams of becoming an elephant when he grows up. Well, the elephant proprietor uh, initially refuses to serve a fox, but Judy, with all the force of the law that she can muster, uh, gets the owner to change his mind. She even offers to pay for the pop herself. 
outside Judy laments uh, the racism that some mammals seem to have towards other mammals. It's just shameful. And she reaches down to the young guy and says, and if you want to be an elephant, you be an elephant. Because this is Zootopia where anyone can be anything. Well, the feel-good moment doesn't last too long. Later that day, Judy sees the father and son duo again, but uh, Nick is on top of a roof melting the giant ice pop, and, and the son is collecting all of the juice in jars at the bottom. She follows them to Tundra Town, where uh, they start refreezing the juice into tiny paw-printed popsicles. And then they go back to downtown Zootopia and sell these popsicles for $2 a piece. And I'll tell you, once one lemming wants one, they all want one. And they soon sold out. But they weren't done yet. They recycled the popsicle sticks and took them to Little Rodentia to sell them to the mice as redwood lumber. <laughs> Judy is just getting more and more angry as she watched this. And she finally decides to confront Nick and his scam that he's running. Let's watch. Due to copyright restrictions, we're unable to play the audio version of the video clips that we showed in worship. Our scripture reading today comes from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. It's a passage that also deals with all kinds of animals living together in harmony. Uh, We heard that part of the passage read just a few moments ago. Um, The the wolf shall live with the lamb, that sort of speak. But I want us to start back at verse 1 of Isaiah chapter 11. A shoot shall come out of the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. Now, a little background might be helpful here. A shoot shall come out of the stump of Jesse is a reference to the monarchs of Israel that descended from King David, David whose father's name was Jesse. Saul was Israel's first king. Didn't go well. Uh, God replaced Saul with David, who was king number two. David really ushered in the golden era of Israel's rulers. David's son Solomon became king number three. Unfortunately, uh, Solomon's son Rehoboam, who became the fourth king, uh, that's where things got a little messy. He couldn't keep the kingdom together. The nation split in two. Israel in the north uh, and Judah in the south. And Jerusalem, the capital, was in the south. Well, over time, over time, the northern tribes were attacked and defeated by uh, the superpower of that day, the Assyrians, um, from many hundreds of years after David, 740 to 722 BC, and some of the best and brightest of them were taken away. The Babylonians came in and attacked the south. They were the next superpower and took their captives away as well. And so this became one of the darkest periods of Israel's time. The prophet Isaiah and others commented that this exile period was the result of centuries of disobedience from God. That the the people and the leaders had gotten so off of what God wanted them to do that God had to push the divine reset button and do something so uh, earth-shattering, if you will, that people began to realize what was important in life and how they needed to go back to God. It seemed like God had abandoned them, like there was just a stump that was remaining. But the great thing about stumps, they may not have branches, but they have roots. And if God is the one who fills the roots, future shoots can, can come forward. So Isaiah tells the people that God is about to raise up a new king, a new shoot, a new branch is going to come forward from what looked like a dead stump. 
a king that will follow God's heart and God's spirit, and it would rest mightily upon him. Verse 3. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not decide by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. Something that everyone had been hoping for for so many years. Finally, a king that would follow God and will have a chance to move forward as a people. Well, back in Zootopia, on her second day as a meter maid, Judy observes a theft in process, and she tracks down and apprehends a weasel that has stolen a bag of uh, bulbs from a florist. And despite uh, per, uh, apprehending the perpetrator, she's scolded by her boss, Chief Bogo, for having left her station. Well, while Judy's in with uh, the chief, Mrs. Otterton comes in to ask for help. Her husband is one of the 14 mammals that has gone missing around Zootopia. And she's just looking for anyone that can help find her husband. Well, of course, Judy, the eager bunny, says, I will help and find your husband. Chief Bogo's actually about to fire her for insubordination when Assistant Mayor Bellwether arrives on the scene. She was there at Judy's graduation and wanted to follow up on how the mayor's uh, mammal inclusion policy in the police is coming along. So excited to hear that Judy has an important assignment to help track down Mr. Otterton. Well, now the chief can't fire her, so, but he says, I'll give you 48 hours, and if you can't find the otter in 48 hours, you have to turn in your badge and resign. Now, the only piece of evidence that's in Emmett Otterton's file is a picture of his last known whereabouts. And Judy takes a Coke bottle and uses it to magnify what it is he's eating. Do you recognize it? It's a popsicle. And she happens to know who sells those popsicles, So Judy tracks down Nick Wilde, asks him for help with finding Emmett Otterton. Of course, he refuses to help her. But Judy secretly records him bragging about all the money that he's made in his popsicle scams over the years, knowing that he never paid a single bit of taxes on that income. Uh, So she uh, talks him into helping him. The fox realizes he's been outfoxed. And he says, I will help you in exchange for getting that recording back when we're done. So together they go visit this naturalist yoga studio uh, where he was last seen. Uh, They find that leads them to the DMV, the Department of Mammal Vehicles, uh, to track down the license number of the car that took him away. A place where all the workers there are sloths, um, expect to be there a long, long time. They're very slow. Um, And then they get a lead on the, the license plate of the car that Emmett was seen in last. It's in Tundra Town. So they head over to the limo yard. They find the limo. Inside, they find Emmett's uh, wallet, but the inside of the car is all trashed. And before they can put two and two together, two polar bears grab them, who, surprise, surprise, have had experience with Nick Wilde before. It turns out their boss, Mr. Big, doesn't like Nick because he bought a rug from Nick, but it just wasn't any kind of rug. It was a rug made from a skunk. And not just any part of the skunk, the butt of the skunk. Let's watch as they come face to face with Mr. Big. Well, at the wedding reception, Mr. Big explained that Emmett Otterton was his florist, and they had set up a meeting to come and talk about flowers for the wedding, and he sent his limo to pick up Emmett, but he never made it to his house, that Emmett had somehow gone crazy along the way and attacked the driver and then scampered off. When Nick and Judy went to the Rainforest District to interview the limo driver, who was a Jaguar, 
He told them that Emmett had attacked him, and he kept shouting out, uh, night howlers, night howlers. While they were talking, the limo driver suddenly grew crazy and attacked them, and it was all they could do to escape with their lives after having called in backup support. Well, Chief Bogo demands that Judy turn in her badge. She hasn't come anywhere close to finding Emmett. But Nick reminds them they still have 10 hours left of the 48 hours. Let's watch as Nick finally starts to share a little bit about his past with Judy. So now we get to the part from Isaiah that mirrors Zootopia. Verse 6. The wolf shall live with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. This is the part, the passage from Isaiah known as the peaceable kingdom. Artists have drawn and painted this in many ways over the years. It speaks of a time in Israel's future when the king, the true king, finally comes that all will dwell in safety. Predators and prey will live in harmony with one another. Those who had been enemies for so long will coexist in the same place. This is something that so many people long for. Why? Because precisely because the poor, the meek, the wicked, and the unjust still exist and still prey upon each other. It it was the case back in biblical times, and unfortunately, it's still the case often today. Michael E. Williams, in his wonderful uh, Storyteller's Companion to the Bible series, writes this. The storyteller asks, what would this violent world be like if no one hurt or destroyed each other? What unlikely groups of persons would finally be able to dwell with one another? And perhaps most captivating, what would it be like if the world's children lived in safety? Is this not a vision that we all could share? Isaiah continues, the nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp. The weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now, of course, it's not suggesting that children should go out and start playing with poisonous snakes. Not at all. It's saying, though, that there's a time when life will be without danger. And we don't have to worry about what or who is going to attack or threaten or overpower us. That will be no more. And I think Isaiah is also going back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Remember when Adam and Eve left the garden, the whole snake incident, the forbidden fruit, and God said that the snake will now be the enemy of a human? I think this is going back and saying there's going to be a time in God's kingdom when that will be no more. Even snakes will be part of the family. With less than 10 hours to go to solve the crime, Nick and Judy head over to City Hall to speak with Assistant Mayor Bellwether. Uh, They need access uh, to the city's traffic cams. The the Jaguar that had chased them and got wild had gotten caught, and even though they escaped, when they went back to show Chief Bogo, the Jaguar was gone, and they wanted to know what happened. Well, the traffic traffic cams actually show that a pair of wolves had captured him, and they followed the various uh, cams around city to see where the car went. It went to here, cliffside a seemingly abandoned hospital. And Nick and Junie manage to sneak past the wolves that are guarding the entrance. They discover 15 rooms, each of them with a crazed animal, all 14 of the missing mammals and the jaguar that they had just seen, including Emmett Otterton. They had to run and hide as Mayor Lionheart comes in with a doctor, and they're discussing how it seems like only predators are the ones that have gone crazy gone savage, and the mayor asks, well, maybe it's their biology. The wolves 
security barge in to investigate the breach. And Nick and Judy have to be very creative and clever to escape once again. They call for backup, and the ZPD comes in to arrest Mayor Lionheart. The next day, at a very important press conference, Judy invites Nick to apply for the police force to become her partner. And he gives her a little bit of advice on how to handle the public. And off she goes for her moment to shine. Nick abruptly leaves, having been so hurt by Judy's insinuations about all predators and their DNA. Well, as time passes, more and more attacks happen all throughout Zootopia. They still have uh, no explanation as to why. And there's no way to reverse uh, the aggression that Mr. Otterton and the others have experienced. Well, newly appointed Mayor Bellwether uh, wants Judy to become the public face of the ZBT. But in the aftermath of her uh, press conference and the mass panic that ensued, Judy remarks, I came to help Zootopia, but I think I broke it. To which Mayor Chief Bogo says, the world has always been broken. That's why we need good cops like you. And despite that vote of confidence, Judy resigns. It's quite an unexpected turn in the storyline, but I think it's brilliant because it gets at the heart of what it means to be human, isn't it? I mean, that moment that we glimpse our own frail humanity, we realize that we don't always measure up to the goals that we set for ourselves. The the great apostle Paul, who wrote many of the books in the New Testament, even said this in Romans chapter 7, for I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. I mean, we all struggle with this, right? We, We know what it is that God wants for us and what it means to live as a just and moral people, but we don't always meet those expectations for ourselves, right? And if we're completely honest with each other, there are times in our lives that we have to admit things we say or do or even think betray who it is that God wants us to be. There's an interesting story in the Gospel of Luke chapter 9. Jesus and disciples are walking through Samaria. Now, Jews and Samaritans didn't get along, and most Jews would actually walk around Samaria to get from the south to the north. It would add an extra week to their journey. But Jesus and disciples are going through, and it's getting towards the end of the day, and he sends two of his disciples ahead to, to get a place for them to stay. Well, they come back and say that nobody in the town would welcome them. And, and hospitality is so important in the Middle East. And so two of Jesus' closest disciples, James and John, say this in chapter 9, verse 54. Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Right? So there's already this uh, tension between Jews and Samaritans. Add on to it a little bit of hosp- inhospitality. Uh, in hospitality, and now they're ready to pray for fire and brimstone to wipe out an entire Samaritan village. And Jesus, it says, rebukes them like he does a demonic spirit and moves on. Racism is something that our country has struggled with for centuries. I mean, even the best of us have to be vigilant to fight back the demon that seems to be so quickly to rise up in so many. And I think the moment that we start thinking, well, we're not racist, that's the moment that we're most susceptible to racism. The disciples in Luke 9 let their racist uh, underpinnings show through. Maybe it's not just racism. Maybe it's sexism or ageism or nationalism. There's a wide variety of options when it comes to discriminatory attitudes and feelings and worldviews. Once again, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12 says this, Do not repay evil for evil, 
But take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. And if it's all possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, it's easy to live at peace with the people we like. It's not so easy to live with those that we don't. In Matthew 5, Jesus says this, You've heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is where the proverbial rubber meets the road, right, for us as Christians. Uh, Jesus calls us to love our enemies, to pray for those who get under our skin and get on our nerves. When's the last time you've done that? Judy Hopps returns to Bunnyboro to work as Nick projected on her family's carrot farm. She's very depressed and disappointed in how things had changed for her, and Her father warns some of her brothers and sisters to not get close to the purple flowers that are by the edge of their farm. Now, of course, she knows the genus and species name of that, but her father tells a story about her, how her uncle one time uh, inadvertently added some of that to a salad he was eating and then went crazy afterwards. Want to guess what the nickname is for those purple flowers? Night Howlers. That's what Emmett Otterton was talking about. Suddenly, Judy realizes how this connects to her case, and so she heads back to the city to find Nick and apologize for her insensitive behavior towards predators like himself. That anyone can become wild if they ingest uh, the flower of, uh, of of a night howler. And so Nick accepts her apology and agrees to help her once again to solve the case. So they go back to the weasel that had stolen a whole uh, duffel bag full of those flower bulbs. Those were actually night howler flower bulbs. So he tells them where they actually process the plants. And in there they find a map of Zootopia with all of the predators that had gone savage. Almost as if they had been targeted. Well, they have to hide when uh, Doug comes in. He's the ram in charge of the processing, a la Breaking Bad, kind of in his little uh, uh, chemical lab. And, and they're melting down the processing, the, the, the juice of the flour, and putting them into small bullets that, they, that he then targets specific predators to turn savage. The Night Howler lab is actually a subway train, and so Judy decides to hijack the train and take the whole thing back to the police department as evidence. Of course, they have to fight off Doug and his security team, and unfortunately, it all ends in a spectacular, fiery crash. All the evidence is gone except the briefcase that holds the pellet gun and some of the Night Howler bullets. Well, Surprisingly, Mayor Bellwether just happens to be at that same subway station, and she congratulates them on solving the case, but they start to get a little funny feeling about her and discover that she's actually the one behind the whole caper in the first place. She wanted to create a world where there were no predators at all, and systematically she was pinpointing different predators throughout the city. Well, she shoots Nick with one of the, she steals the, the briefcase, shoots Nick with one of the bullets, which turns him savage. Well, in reality, they had switched out the bullets, uh, the night howler juice with blueberries from her farm, and they actually record on Judy's uh, um, a microphone pen uh, Mayor Bellwether's confession of how she masterminded this whole place. The police swoop in, the lamb is arrested, and they're even able to create an antidote to help Emmett and the others who had been affected. 
The professor of spiritual formation at Claremont School of Theology is uh, Dr. Frank Rogers here in Southern California. He wrote a wonderful book called uh, In the Way of Jesus, Compassion in Practice. I heard him speak a, a year or so ago, and I bought this book. It's amazing, talking about how we can cultivate compassion in our own lives. It goes back to Jesus' call to love our enemies. He talks about uh, those that offend and infuriate us. He writes, In a world where violence means spiritedness, aggression, and defiance ravage our cities and homelands, permeate our political discourse, bleed into our schools, families, and places of work, Offering compassion to our enemies may be the most pressing social challenge of our day. I'd never thought of it that way. That the one thing we can do that may make the greatest difference in our community around us is being able to offer compassion to our enemies. We all have enemies in our lives, right? Every day we encounter people whose political or ideological views are in opposition to us whether it be proponents who are pro-life or pro-choice, who push for immigration reform or stronger borders, you name the hot-button topic, you know the people that have differing views from you. Or people within certain social positions that we're inherently suspicious of, the poor, the wealthy, the military, immigrants, the incarcerated, or people in the news or our communities whose deeds particularly disgust us, people who have been involved in acts of abuse, embezzlement, debauchery, infidelity, people who we encounter uh, through our day who just push our buttons, those reckless drivers or inconsiderate neighbors, people who uh, are always on their phone when we're trying to talk with them. Even our friends, family, co-workers, and companions can be our enemies for a moment when they do or say something that just triggers us some kind of fury or displeasure. Dr. Rogers says, if we look deep enough, there's always something behind why people act the way they do. Things that have happened in their lives. It's not arbitrary that they've just decided to be this way. Just like hearing Nick's story of how he was muzzled as a kid wanting to be a junior ranger scout, that if we take time to listen to those that are different from us, we'll discover unhealed wounds, secret shames, threatened needs, underdeveloped gifts or power that have led people to become who they are. In short, Dr. Rogers writes, our enemies serve as mirrors, They reflect to us that which we have relegated to the shadows of our own inner world. Our resistance to holding them with compassion is rooted in resistance to holding ourselves with compassion. That which we find untouchable in them is tethered to something that we may find untouchable within us. So here's what I want you to do. This is your homework assignment for the week. Think of one person that might classify as an enemy in the broader sense, right? someone whose political views are different, someone that just knows how to push your buttons, whatever it may be. And every day this week, pray for them. Pray for God's peace, for their health, for freedom from pain. Every day, I mean, maybe it's Republicans, maybe it's Democrats, whatever it may be. Pick one person that you either know or a group of people and see what God does if you pray for them specifically for God's blessing once a day, every day this week. That's exactly what Judy Hopps learned her first year on the job as a bunny police officer. In fact, at the next year's graduation from the academy, she had a chance to share that in her own way.
None of us is perfect. We all make mistakes. But by the grace of God and the power of the risen Christ and the Holy Spirit that's with us each day, we can change and we can be better than how we were before. We can change our hearts. We can seek to embody the message of Jesus that welcomes and includes everyone, especially our enemies. And too often today, we're so quick to make judgments about people. The Bible calls us to live into a promise of a peaceable kingdom, a place where everyone is accepted, no one is excluded, a place where all dwell in safety and love is universal. That's what Isaiah was inspiring the people about, and that's what at at the heart is the message of Zootopia. In fact, that's what Jesus came to live for and gave his life for, trying to teach us what it means to love one another. May each of us take this call seriously and be praying for someone this week that pushes your buttons and see what God does in your own heart. Thanks be to God.